Bow before the majesty of Constantine the Third, rightful King of Scotland. Wait, what is this devilry? A podcast? Clearly an attempt to rob me of my crown. Guards, execute him. <laughs> it's good to be king. The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan, of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness. Superstition and the sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Voices from the Eerie. I'm your co-host, Greg Bashansky, and joining me as usual is my partner in crime, co-host Jennifer L. Anderson. Hello. And we're pleased to have back on the show the artist for Gargoyles Issue 5 from SLG and Gargoyles Bad Guys from SLG, and we hope to eventually add another one to that list. And a longtime fan, former convention chair of the Gathering of the Gargoyles Convention, Corinne Charlebois. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Great to have you. And one of my and... bestest friends in the whole wide world. Indeed. I love her. Same for me. <laughs> Corinne is good people. She's on my list uh-huh. of awesome people. <laughs> Very high on that list. <laughs> she belongs there. She does. And also joining us, someone else who is on that list. Mr. Greg Wiseman, the co-creator of Gargoyles, the writer of the SLG and Dynamite Comics. Hi, everyone. I want to see that list. (laughs) (laughs) I'll compile it for you. I will compile it for you. (laughs) All right. So, um, Corinne, except for our new section last time, it's been a little bit of a a little while since we spoke to you. How have uh, things been going? Let's get caught up with you. What have you been up to? I've been uh, working. Uh, I am now a director for an animated series. I cannot say what the title is, but it's a very cute preschool show. And it's a, uh, it's, I'm working with a brand new studio. This is my first uh, time as a series director. I'm also going to be working as a director on another small show at the same studio. So I'm supposed to be juggling both at the same time. And aside from that, I'm still teaching uh, storyboarding at my local animation school. And that uh, is going well. I'm looking forward to starting the school year with my new students this year. And uh, yeah, just life continues it's uh my my boys are almost grown up and oh they're so grown it hurts <laughs> uh, my oldest is uh going to be applying to culinary school again he's been working in uh restaurant kitchens and he loves it so he's decided that this is where he wants to go he wants to become a chef he wants to open his own restaurant someday so he's really keen on that and we're helping him along and supporting him my youngest is uh, doing the gymnastics thing still, and he's uh, competing at national level and uh, really, really keen on all of that. Doesn't know what he wants to do, but 
you know, whatever he chooses will be there to support him. And uh, Adam, I don't know what I want to do. You don't know what you want to do? I still haven't figured out what I'm going to do when I grow up. (laughs) Name? Yep. And Adam still works his, uh, his same job talking to people in Germany and in India and all over the place, trying to get people to, 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 you know, order management stuff. So it's super interesting. So instead we plan our, we plan our, our vacations and all the things we're going to do once we're, you know, filthy rich and can retire. (laughs) Nice. All right. I think we can switch gears and we have a big episode to discuss the first part of a trip tick and I'd like to hear your memories of when this first aired. I remember at the time for me, anyway, the biggest mystery of the series was who and what are the weird sisters? What's going on here? So when we had the previously on section, I got really excited. Then that title sequence happened and I was even more excited because I mean, by then I had heard of Avalon I was somewhat familiar with what it was supposed to be and it was just like oh this is about to happen I had no idea what exactly we were going to be getting into long term but this just was a fantastic a real turning point um to be honest I don't remember specifically what I thought of the episode when I first saw it because it is really all a blur at this point I just remember that it was um, the triptych itself, you know, explained the whole thing, what happened to Macbeth and Demona and why they were, um, why they were working together and all that. And that's, that whole storyline had been going on for a little while and we got that resolution. So I enjoyed that one. But yeah, I don't remember specifically at the time what hit me about that story. I just knew it was a part one, and I said, "Oh, long story." So that's gonna be fun. <laughs> Are you Jen? Are you Jen? Remember we your first? For. <laughs> <laughs> With me, I I guaranteed my when I watched it the first time, uh, I was just giddy about the weird sisters. Um looking forward to more story there with that and it was part one it's just interesting to me to me the thing that i would have thought was the big hook was the eggs um oh we'll get there that 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 to me was like i mean i'm glad like are we gonna are we going to actually go back to the eggs again but um, i think like at the time all thinking of of eggs i'm just Assumed they were all grown and dead by now. <laughs> yeah, I figured, that's what I figured as yeah. well. And then the guy shows up in the eggs, and okay, it's probably you know something about not just the eggs themselves, but generations and generations of gargoyles have gone by, and so I didn't expect that uh, to happen. But yeah, I think I think. That might have been something that got me at uh, at the time, but like I said, it's it's been almost thirty years now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think if I think back when I saw the previous one, they were focusing a little bit on the eggs during that. I was thinking, okay, okay, before we actually heard met Tom and heard him 
talk and say this. I was thinking, are we going to get the descendants of the eggs? But uh, I didn't expect it to actually be the eggs. And uh, Greg, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the origins of this triptych? Um, well, I mean, a lot of it was pipe we'd been laying for a long time, um, City of Stone um, and uh, High Noon uh, in particular. Uh, were, we had all sort of come up uh, with these plans for what the Weird Sisters were up to, but it also went back to all the way to Awakenings with the eggs, you know. Xanatos, Mr. Reliable Narrator himself, goes, yeah, sorry, the eggs were all lost. They're gone. Forget about them. And, you know, for the most part, the audience did. You know, there's this moment of tragedy. Uh, but, you know, we've seen Goliath say to Catherine and the Magus take care of the eggs in the rookery. And um, so for me, the notion that um, that was the end of that story going all the way back to what episode two of season one was never going to be the long haul answer. You know um, we wanted to get back to those eggs. And in particular, I really wanted to, I, I really felt um, honestly that we had screwed up by not having a female gargoyle among the group other than um Demona. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it really was important to me that we bring in another regular who was female. Um, the obvious choice for that would be Goliath and Demona's biological daughter and all the complications that would ensue out of that. And that's not really a topic for this episode. It's more about the ones that follow, but um, motivation. But motivation for why we were doing this. Um, that was huge for us. Just the idea that, that, you know, not that I'm complaining, but that from the standpoint of our regulars, we just felt the show was unbalanced, that Elisa was a very strong character. And we had other really strong female characters in the show, everyone from Fox to Demona to um, uh, even in her own way, Maggie. Um, but Maria Chavez, you know, I think it was particularly for a 90s quote-unquote boys toy uh driven series i think we were pretty uh progressive for the time and none of us were satisfied with that none of us thought that we had done done justice to the concept even um and so part of this was just a much needed plan for course correction i think um and to bring a an important missing voice to the leads, to the regular cast. And um, uh, and I don't want to go into it too much because again, we'll meet Angela. I mean, we see Angela for a hot second at the end of this episode, but we won't really meet her till next episode. And so we should really, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself is what I'm saying, but, but it is important to understand that As one of the major motivations. Do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Shocking, uh, but I think it's important to, ex to to explain that that was one of the major motivations for doing this triptych as a whole is that we wanted to get back to the question of the eggs, and we wanted to to at least in part write that balance, and that's a balance I'm continuing to write now, even into the 
comics uh, that, um, you know, uh, I just as Angela was missing from it, it also, you know, we have all these male voices in the clan and we only have a, a couple of female voices, Elisa and Angela. And I'm like, we need to balance that out still. We're still not, we still haven't done the job. So I'm still working on that with characters like um, Cold Fire and Katana. Um, and, uh, and I don't think I'm done either, <laughs> um, but you know, I want it to feel organic. I don't want it to feel like, all right, here's six women. We're just going to shove them into the show that you've never met and never heard of and that kind of thing. I want it to build organically, but I do feel there's work still to be done on that level, on a lot of levels, to be perfectly honest, but absolutely on that fundamental level. So that was a big piece for it. But again, this was a storyline we'd had in mind for a while uh, um, since before City of Stone, but with City of Stone, it began to crystallize for us what this story was going to be about. And then we've talked before about the research that uh, both Tuppence McIntyre, who we've had on the show, and Monique Beatty, who was my assistant at the time, did on Scottish history. And we found this great story about um, Kenneth and Constantine. And again, when we created Prince Princess Catherine and then halfway through season one, created her father, Prince Malcolm. We had no clue unless Michael did some research behind my back that he never mentioned to me, uh, Michael Reeves. We had no clue how we were fitting it into any kind of real sense of Scottish royalty or history at the time. But we just found, again, as we did with the Vikings, that we hadn't screwed up. I mean, that what we were doing, we would added a couple of fictional characters to the uh, royal family, so to speak, but we hadn't defied, we hadn't got anything wrong with the history. And so by um, adding Malcolm as a third brother to Kenneth and Duff, um, it all fit in incredibly nicely. And then you have this great story of betrayal and, and the fact that Kenneth raised Constantine, which, you know, we're, um, seeing in the, we've seen in dark ages that he had he in essence fosters Constantine after um, mentor and Goliath take out uh, King Cullen and Cullen's men and all that sort of thing. Um, this is uh, this was just too good a story not for for us not to do, particularly given how much fun and how successful we felt City of Stone had turned out. Um, it all. You know, it was one of the great joys of the Gargoyle universe of putting that show together, even back then, let alone now, but was that everything just seemed to fit like puzzle pieces we didn't even know we were missing. It's like, oh, uh, how, all right, uh, so Castle Wyvern is in essence sacked by the Vikings. Um, I guess the humans who were released could stay there, but the whole thing is. Uh, half destroyed and in ruins with with the you know the destroyed corpses of dead gargoyles everywhere you look. Um, not a fun place to be staying anymore. So where is Catherine going to go? And then oh well, in theory, if her father was Prince Malcolm, the sort of younger brother of the king, she's going to go to her uncle, the king. All right, well, tell me who the uncle who was king back in. 
Oh, it was Kenneth the second. Okay. Tell me about Kenneth the second. Oh, he was murdered in the drawing room by Fenella and Constantine. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. Tell me about that. Well, Mal Calvin was his son, but he had to flee. He doesn't become king till much later. And it's like, uh, and the only thing that we were sort of sorry is that in theory, Kenneth the third should have been in this story in Avalon part one. Uh, he's uh, King Duff's son. So it was Kenneth's nephew, but um, but was born before Duff was killed. He was just too young to take the throne. And in theory, you know, that created another uh, candidate for the throne between Constantine and Malcalvum and, and Kenneth III. But it just, it was, it was too much at some point. We're just sort of like, all right, we've just introduced four new characters in um, Kenneth II, Malcalvum, Constantine, and Fenella. We are getting to know in much greater depth Tom and Mary, who we, you know, Mary in particular, we barely touched on in, in season one. Um, Tom just a little bit more, the Magus a little bit more than that, and Princess Catherine herself a little bit more than that. And we are changing who they are, not drastically, but we are incrementally turning them from characters who weren't villains, but were antagonists in the in the first season to to in essence being the heroes of of this little one episode story we're doing and that was fantastic and uh we'll definitely dive a little bit more into that shortly uh, anyway, so, what i'm saying Greg. is between those four characters and the four new characters we're like that's a lot of characters that's a big cast to be dancing with so we left kenneth out and i brought him into the comics uh the in the slg run later mm-hmm. but uh uh, at some point, there's a phrase, uh, you got to be willing to, you know, kill your darlings, like Kenneth the Third. And this story was like someone I really wanted to have in there, but it's just sort of like, it's too much. It's just one character overload, you know, that um, was too much. So we left him out. Uh, he's just elsewhere when this goes down. Just didn't happen to be in Edinburgh at the time. I do remember, though, that the opening of this episode was, and especially looking at it now, and Jen and Corinne, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. It's it's funny. We're meeting the Guardian, who's going to introduce us to this whole new world. And at the same time, we're temporarily saying goodbye, not just to Hudson and the trio when they take off, but Margot, Brendan, Officer Morgan, even those three street punks. It feels like we're going on a tour of our little supporting cast. Uh Corinne, Jen, do you remember your thoughts on that opening and um, your impressions of it now when Guardian first arrives in New York? I enjoyed, you know, hadn't watched the show in quite some time. And then I put on that one episode and the gargoyles wake up and Goliath makes a beeline for the chair and says, I want to finish this book. And it's like, that's not the Goliath. Like, what's the, uh, what's the, 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 the real reason why he's doing this. And I'm like, I should maybe look back at other episodes, but now it was just a, a, a way to get him away from the rest of the clan in order to tell this story. But it was very funny to just, the first thing you see is Goliath come down, sit down in the chair and take out the book. It was a very, uh, it was a very good moment. book. Yes. I, I really was wondering last, not last night, I guess it was two nights ago. Whenever I watched this, rewatched this recently, I was like, 
what book was that? <laughs> <You know? 'Cause laughs> a good usually, one. <laughs> usually we'd say what book it was. You know, he'd talk about, uh, you know, uh, Shakespeare, or he'd talk about whatever book he was reading. And, and this time, uh, we didn't name drop anything. And I was like, that doesn't feel like us, you know. Um, but I... Uh, I wonder if it, there was something there and then the lawyer said, you can't use that. And, it, and so we just had to cut it as opposed to, all right, well, let's find something else. Like the by the time we found out. plot device. Right. He's allowed to take a night off. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, that, that was, um, that was my first thing, you know, having not watched the show in a while and then seeing that, um uncharacteristic look at Goliath it was quite amusing to me um I liked the I, I remember um enjoying the design on Tom's armor looking like Goliath uh the beginning when you see him arrive on the skiff that he's just a silhouette you wonder is it a gargoyle but then you see okay there's the gargoyle head stuff but then it's metal and you see there's feet. Okay, so that's somebody that's wearing something that's inspired by gargoyles. And uh, But yes, the whole uh, going through the city until he gets um, arrested. And, you know, no, don't ask questions how Elisa got him out of jail just because she said that she knew his family. <laughs> so I, you know, whatever. She got him where she, where he was supposed to be. And so there, but, um, but yeah, that, uh, that whole opening was very amusing. I loved, I loved, uh, uh, the guardian just relinquishing his his sword to Morgan, and Morgan's yes. like, "What oh, is happening Morgan. right now?" Like, to your rules and your law. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and this is the days before once a year, New York Comic Con would come around, and a bunch of people would be running around Manhattan in costumes <laughs> with weapons. The the voices but, of the thugs always make me laugh because I know it's everybody swapping, you know. Yeah, that <laughs> makes you laugh. Makes me nuts. Um, <laughs> you know, in other words, it was done wrong the first time back in Awakening. Um, but then you got to keep doing it wrong. But yeah, I'm like, then it's it needs to stay this way. That's how it went out, and and instead it shifted to, I guess, what is correct, but at that point was wrong to the audience. And it's just like, how does this keep happening? Um, <laughs> and just made me nuts. Um, but again, it becomes this thing where um, they're, they're just, uh, you know, at some point you realize there's just a limited opportunity to um, fix things. Um, you know, at, at some point you've just got to, let it go. We tried to fix the things that really mattered. And um, there's many mistakes that got corrected that you guys will never see. And I have, don't remember or <laughs> mentally blocked out. Um, but uh, it doesn't change the fact that when I, you know, the mistakes that are there still drive me crazy as if it, you know, as if it was released yesterday. 
it's funny because um, with all the uh, animation experience that I have now, I'm kind of more readily spotting, you know, continuity errors or stuff like that. Like some things jump at me and they say, oh, that was an animation correction because it doesn't have the same quality as the rest of it. And certain things like that can... That, that, uh, the regular just casual viewer would just never even notice. No, they, they wouldn't notice, but it kind of jumps in my face because I'm so used to seeing that kind of stuff. So there are moments like this. Uh, I will mm. say that the quality anime, the quality of the animation in the Avalon triptych is not the best. There no, are but it's not the worst either. It's not we the worst. We certainly had worse. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are certain moments when I would watch the way the characters move and what they're doing. And I kept thinking this was an error in translation between storyboard and animation. They didn't catch the intent in the storyboard. And it just didn't translate into the animated uh, result. So, you know, you haven't the, heard you, yeah, you haven't heard it yet because it's not up yet. But you're gonna love our uh, inter interview with Dave Whitting about the cage. Anders <laughs> 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 Jen, yeah, nodding yeah. along mischievously, yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all right, I mean, a lot of great things there. I mean, and you just built up the tension just kept getting built up, the intrigue. I mean, I shouldn't have been surprised. I had that same look on Elise's face. Just I remember when Morgan reveals that the Guardian asked for Goliath by name, even though, you know, that didn't he had surprised to... me so much because the helmet the was clearly modeled after Goliath. Yeah. yeah. So. He and Xanato should form a fan club. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like I don't know why I didn't even think about like uh, putting those two sets of armor side by side. NECA, make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Medieval Goliath versus high tech sci fi Goliath. I think Santa Jose is more in model. Yeah, <laughs> and then we end up in Belvedere Castle, which looking at this, I believe was a clue that was the last time we saw Demona and Macbeth yeah. and. As a New Yorker, I'm going to say this. Don't go to Belvedere Castle after dark. A lot of drug deals go down over there after dark. That's so cheerful. I'm so glad you shared. <laughs> but um, not, but no, Belvedere Castle during the day is one of my favorite spots in the city. I believe I remember in 1998 at the gathering, we all went there together. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. We did it in 97. We did it in 98. And that was a lot it's, of fun. I mean, true. that's... You know, Shakespeare in the park, you can be there at night when they're doing that. It's, uh, yeah. And actually, the park's much better than when I lived there in the 80s. I mean, I, my son lives in New York and, and we've walked through the park many times. And it's always weird to me because I'm like, there's no way I would have done this when I was, you know, his age. But, uh, now it's not that big a deal. Um, it really That's has improved. That is true. That is definitely true. And then, and I went and Jen and Corinne, I want to hear you if you what your thoughts were on this. I remember the time it was so rapid fire. The Guardian reveals himself as Tom. Then he mentions he mentions Princess Catherine, the Magus, the eggs, and he even drops the Archmage's name, who we thought was dead. And it's like, whoa, I mean, so much at once, but it was done in a brilliant in way to keep us off balance, but intentionally it was great. Uh, watching it now. Uh, 
tell you what went through my head. Because he's like, and the, the eggs, you know, he mentions the eggs and stuff. And all I could think of is like, Back to the Future. It's your kids, Marty. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> something's got to be done about your kids. Yeah, no, I, I like the, I like the, uh, the, like, Tom is like, I'm super excited about finally finding Goliath, and I'm just going to info dump on Goliath at this point. And he's been he holding it in for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tom. <laughs> I mean, I'm curious if you guys remember, you know, when did it occur to you that it was Tom? Was it when he said, yeah, Tom, I would have or... not known it was yeah. Tom if he hadn't. No, said I wouldn't it was Tom. have either. Right. And and it was like it's me, Tom, and I'm like the little kid and <laughs> <laughs> the blonde kid. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it was. It's it's that whole thing of um, he's old now, but he shouldn't be dead. But he's old now, so how is that possible? So that was that was fun to see at the time the the whole and I'm I'm a sucker for time travel stories so that really got me like how did this happen what type of time travel story are they going to put in there um, you know I love all the Phoenix Gate stories and all that fun stuff so <sighs> yeah I mean, my favorite bit in this. In, it's Lydia's script, uh, and Bryn is the story editor. But my favorite bit in it is uh, they're getting on the boat, and and Elisa's going, "Where are you going to the other side of the lake?" I mean, yes. I don't understand. That's <laughs> oh, what I mean. I York guess or... we'll amuse the crazy guy in armor <laughs> in the boat. Yes, Turtle Pond, Turtle Pond, right next to Belvedere Castle, Turtle Pond. <laughs> it, I mean, it was definitely like uh, she had to be just all right. Love, we'll just entertain this. Mm -hmm. um, get out on the other side. <laughs> I also I hadn't remembered this from from the previous times that I'd watched it, but seeing that. Bronx is the one who is the one who uh, notices the familiarity first, not just with Tom, but he smells the gargoyles on Avalon. He he's the one who's like at the bottom of the cliff. Like there there are friends here. He's the one with that that's immediately you know things are good when Bronx says they're good. Yeah, and if well, he's he, not happy, I then Bronx knows. Mm -hmm. I think that's a pretty consistent thing. We've always thought of Bronx as being an incredibly good judge of character. <laughs> <laughs> Dogs tend to be. Um, he's not a dog. No, he's not. Well, he's, but he's yeah, the, yeah, canine-like qualities certainly. But yes. yeah, uh, but yeah, that was uh, the idea <laughs> that um, Goliath wouldn't recognize this guy, and Elise, of course, never never knew Tom doesn't have any uh, probably has a limited notion of who Tom was mm -hmm. just from hearing Goliath and the others tell stories. Cause it's not like Tom was a big part of the gargoyles lives either. It was just that one horrible day and night of their life, you know, across a couple nights, Tom sort of comes in and out of it, but, uh, but Bronx recognizes them right away, you know? And, uh, 
and knows he's a good guy. And, and so that sort of becomes uh, part of Bronx's signature skill set, I think. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've always wondered, and I wonder if you two thought about this, one of the things that surprised me in the flashbacks was I was a little bit surprised to see that Tom and Mary had kind of hooked up with um, Catherine and the Magus because they were peasants and these were the nobility. And um, of course, it's probably. Yeah, but they'd all gone through a very traumatic thing. (laughs) Yep. They did. They did. Which is. So it was nice of them to bring them along, and I still believe, especially when I last time I watched Awakening, and I look here, the fact that none of the castle's garrison are still around tells me that the Vikings just disposed of them, didn't even bother taking them hostage. So it is a long and dangerous journey to um, Edinburgh. But you three have kids, I don't. But when I watch the scene where Catherine pulls out the knife and dubs Tom Guardian of the Eggs, I have a feeling at that point, it becomes real later, but it's like, the kid getting the little badge and being an honorary deputy and, uh, or some, or an honorary fireman. There's there's like shades of that, but who else do they have? And that's very true. And also, you know, not putting on the mom cap, but putting on the storyteller cap, the kid is relatable to the audience watching the show. And what little kid watching the show doesn't want to have this important job of I'm going to keep an eye on the eggs, you know, and that's that makes the link to the audience. And it's a really powerful mech. I'm losing my vocabulary, but it's it works very well to bring in the audience and make the uh, make Tom relatable is he's like this bad stuff happened. But I'm not going to let anything else bad happen right now. And I'm going to be the strong one. And I'm going to keep an eye on the eggs. And while, you know, Princess Catherine, you know, dubbing him the guardian of the eggs uh, felt a little bit like a pat on the head. He takes it seriously and she ends up taking it seriously. And yes. so it, uh, it, it worked well for that. Oh, did it? Was I mean, I think watch unfold. I do think that there's an element, not of um, patronizing him, but of let's give him a little reward for services already rendered. But one thing that I think it becomes that is already clear, but becomes even more clear as as the episode progresses, is that Tom is um, brave and um, and useful and. Um, resourceful all those things and um and i i think even toward the end of the episode um when she in essence replays that moment when Catherine sort of replays that moment there's an element there of doing this to make this kid feel better because this is a horrible thing that we're asking yes him to do again um and so this is to help him but I likewise think this is like, this isn't like, oh, great. Now I'm stuck with 36 eggs and a kid. I, I think she views him as um, as useful and helpful. And um, I, uh, and she admires him. And I think she also really comes, I mean, a lot of what this episode is about specifically is Catherine 
Um, obviously, we're telling about kings and betrayals and assassinations and all this stuff, but it's not about that. And it's not even really about the eggs. The eggs are just eggs. <laughs> you know, Catherine's um, dedication, though. It is Catherine who, you know, we met as this spoiled princess in episode one who has through every reason. I mean, as you said earlier, Jen, these have been traumatizing events, traumatizing events prior to episode one, both her parents are, are gone under circumstances we still have not revealed. And then in that five-parter, she loses her home. She loses many of her people. She loses her way of life. Um, and then this new set of circumstances are equally chilling and traumatizing. And yet what we see is at every step, Catherine finds the strength to sort of step up and become a, uh, someone who went from, like I said, this spoiled princess to someone who we respect on a level that, um, that I don't think, um, I mean, there are other characters in the show, obviously that we respect, but I, I don't think anyone can top Catherine for, uh, particularly given the journey she goes you know, from point A to point B. Um, and that's not even counting where we're going to go in the next two episodes. But um, but just already, uh, this is really, this specific episode is really her story where we see her just grow in strength with every setback. Um, and that, uh, I give a lot of credit to uh, Bryn and Lydia. I don't know they work so closely together back in the day. I don't really know uh, how much was one and how much was the other. Uh, but, you know, a lot of credit to that probably goes to the two of them. But it was also something that we were actively trying to do in the show, something I wanted, which was to make Catherine, um, you know, to show her growth in a really uh, organic but objective and believable way. And that's actually one of the things that really worked for me. The I'm all about character growth and learning from mistakes and all that. The thing is in Awakenings, we see her as the spoiled brat, but we see her realize just how responsible she is for the situation that happened. And in Avalon part one, we see her follow through on the oath that she made to Goliath. And she's really dedicated to following through on that oath. She made a promise and she will follow that promise. Mm -hmm. and, and I that's... appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Making, a, uh... making a promise is nothing if you don't follow through with that because how many people make promises? I'll do better, I'll be better, I can change. And they just don't do it or don't even try to do it. I mean- yeah. Those Jen, eggs become think? her whole world. They do absolutely her whole world so and the whole keeping an oath thing we see it again in the uh, gargoyles uh, dark ages comic of you made a promise you're going to keep your promise mm -hmm. we've talked about how these historical figures were introduced previously 
So, um, but the guest cast were playing them. I mean, Ian Buchanan from General Hospital is Constantine. Sheena Easton, my God. I mean, and Sheena was an amazing. Roles. Sheena was an amazing discovery. I mean, I don't want to knock anyone in that cast, the regulars or the guests. They were all Garrett Graham, uh, Morgan Shepard, obviously, we used again and again. Um, but Sheena Easton came in to play Fenella, and we were, Jamie and I, we're really just blown away by really her abilities yeah. um, as a voice actress, uh, as a as a performer. Um, I don't know why we were so surprised. Uh, I guess because you know she was known then as a singer, um, but she was just fantastic. So we came back to her, and and as Corinne knows, you know. I tried to build an entire show around her um, <laughs> with with bad guys, you know, because um, she was just so good uh, at every little nuance of everything. Um, and uh, again, you know, but not we always had a great cast, and, and our guest roles were always great. But I, I I do have to say that even among that cast, Sheena. Um, just always really stood out it was just always just terrific. And she would cut, Sheena was living at the time. I don't know where she is now. I have no idea. But um, at the time she was living in Las Vegas. So every time she came to record with us, because with very few exceptions in those days, we did not phone patch. Um, if it, particularly for guest actors, if a guest actor couldn't make it because they were shooting a movie or they were doing a show, you know, we made an we exception for Keith because when he was on Broadway, because you can't do gargoyles without Keith David. Um, but, you know, it, if if they were not around, we just would, you know, we wouldn't cast that person. Um, you know, if we could, we'd wait, you know, and bring them in to do a pickup session later. But in those days, we'd never, almost never phone patched. So Sheena, she would come in from Las Vegas for like the day and do whatever other business. I'm sure she had other things to do in LA, but, but, you know, in essence, uh, she would come in and she was with the, the, the cast recording it with the group, you know, and, and, uh, uh just, uh, always, uh, just really impressive. And Fenella doesn't have a ton of lines in this episode. No. Um, but I have no. to say the idea, and this was one I never tried to sell because how do you sell, um, you know, two women in their thirties to to uh, CBS Saturday morning? <laughs> like, uh, I, I I'd have watched a it. Show about I, yeah, I mean, I would watch it without a doubt. But um, uh, listen, Kenner, we have this idea for a show about Mary and Fenella, and they've got this magic book, um, and uh, we think it's just this great potential for stories with these two women and they'd be looking at us like we were completely nuts. And, it, and, and the thing to keep in mind is in those days, uh, cartoons were very toy driven from a budget standpoint. I mean, uh, I don't just mean like, Oh yeah. You know, uh, I, I'm not even talking about shows like uh, masters of the universe where, which were literally were based on toy lines. I'm just saying that from a budget standpoint, even a show like, uh, Gargoyles was dependent on the monies coming in from Kenner in order to to do 
our seasons. And so the notion of me pitching the Marion Finella show didn't even cross my mind in the sense of realistic, but I thought this is a show I would love to see. Just that idea. I, I love that line. I don't know. Again, it could have been mine. It might have been Lydia's. It might have been Bryn's. I, I have no memory. But that line where it's like, you know, uh, one woman alone could be in trouble, but two, yes. two one people alone, can. Uh, a woman can run into trouble. Two women can cause plenty of it. Right. I happen yeah. to know for a fact uh, that I, you two, Corinne and Jennifer, have gotten into plenty of trouble together. Us? <laughs> us? No, never. What? Absolutely not. Alcohol is definitely not involved. No. <laughs> it's true. It, it, it's fantastic. And and Greg, I, I definitely would have watched that, but I also get why yeah, you would never have sold that thing, which is a shame. And uh, Well, I mean, you know, I, one thing that I hope to do at some point not, I mean, I don't even think Dynamite would be into doing the Marion Finale comic, but um, <laughs> but I do think you know I could do an issue, you know, uh, if I find the One right, shot. Yeah, yeah, you know, I can do you know, just within the Gargoyles comic, you know, I could do an issue that's really, you know, uh, lets the two of them after yeah, they split on the water, and, and we saw well, some of that in the SLG book, you know, I was able to team them up with uh brooklyn, brooklyn and their horse um and uh and you so you get a, a taste of it there i think that's fun um but i just the idea of Sheena easton and cat susi having their adventures <laughs> just i just <laughs> love that idea uh, i still do you know uh just uh and um and God knows I, uh, I, uh, you know, it, we did, uh, there hasn't really been room for Fenella, but we did, uh, a, a, quite a bit of Mary in, uh, the first few issues of the, of, uh, the dynamite comic. And, um, and that was fun too. Yeah. You know, it, it's just one of the great things about both the voice acting and the writing on the show is that, um, when I come back, even, you know, literally decades later. I can still hear these characters in my head because it was very specific. The writing and the performances were just specific enough that um, sort of summoning them back up, it's not a hard uh, task. It's not a hard road. Um, and um, that's a huge credit to the writing staff and the and Jamie and the actors because uh, yeah. um you know, I, I think there are other shows where that would be a lot more difficult to just be able to go, yeah, what were they like? What did they sound like? Um, and that's never a problem on this. It just never is. I would imagine. Let's talk about Constantine. Corinne, Jennifer, what do you girls think of Constantine? <laughs> Seeing a little baby version um, <laughs> <laughs> turned into... <laughs> <laughs> We're all like, oh, he's a cute baby. Oh, this asshole. <laughs> the thing is, the, this asshole, you get a little bit of why he's a this asshole by the way Kenneth talks about him to his son, saying, oh, he didn't grow up with the same privilege as you did. Didn't you raise all these children? You know, like, wouldn't you have raised them all the same? But apparently, Kenneth did not. 
which is why Constantine was jealous and wanted to have the throne for himself and all that fun stuff. So, so that was one of the things yeah. that kind of popped at me when I was watching the episode and reading the, the Dark Ages at the same time, kind of that parallel uh, came to mind. Um, you definitely don't get the sense that Mal Calvin was a good big brother. <laughs> kind, <Nope>. helpful, <laughs> any of those things. I mean, I like in the episode how Mal uh, isn't just a cliche. In other words, he like goes to Catherine. He's like, you know, he helps Magus bring Tom in. They've rescued Tom. They've taken out the guards that were keeping uh, Catherine prisoner. We've got to go. You know, yeah. uh, our lives are on the line here. We have got to go. And she refuses. Yes. Um, and he's not wrong to leave at that point because no. if they catch him, he's dead. they'll just put him to death. Yeah. Um, so he's not wrong to leave. But on the other hand, um, he's practically begging her to go with, you know, so he's not just this craven kind of uh no cold-hearted uh, yeah he he's pragmatic but he still wants to help his cousin but she won't let him help um and so he goes without her um and um in essence leaves our story because although he was alive through a big chunk of city of stone we had him in essence, above the fray. Um, and uh, I don't know, uh, you know, that was, again, one of these situations where do we have Mal Calvin in City of Stone? Well, we could, but that's another character to introduce, and we're already introducing a, a ton of characters. And again, it just felt like by the end of it, Duncan is king, so he can just be Prince Duncan and then King Duncan, and then we don't need to show Mal Calvin. And, and again, it just felt overwhelming at some point you just sort of blow out the viewer's attention. There are too many people to keep track of. You can't, um, you can't do it. And so I, I, I don't think it's a flaw in the show, but it would have obviously been lovely if, you know, with 2020 hindsight, if um, Mal Calvin as an old man had made an appearance of City of Stone and then Avalon comes along and you see this guy as a young man and you get some connection here. Otherwise, you need to know the history to know, oh, this was Duncan's grandfather. Yeah. Duncan, that jerk, this was his grandfather. <laughs> this was that Macbeth's jerk. grandfather. You know, mm -hmm. this was Macbeth's grandfather as well. Um, and then there's a third grandson, uh, Thorfinn, um, who again was a character I really wanted to include because his story is very interesting also. And again, it just was like, you know, Duncan and Macbeth, that was enough. If I included the third grandson, Thorfinn, it's just like, ah, uh, that's just one too many. Um, I thought seven, we were watching but, a show about gargoyles, not all those. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Well, And you, you know, and again, the reason that the, uh, text features at the end of dark ages are there be, is because I think these are interesting stories and, and putting them into the canon is worthwhile, but the reason they're text features and not, you know, I don't have drew drawing them 
is just from an economic standpoint, there are no gargoyles in those stories. <laughs> um, and this is a book about gargoyles. And so, you know, it, it becomes uh, even there, uh, uh, there's a reductive aspect to it. Um, and because it's, it's tale telling, it's storytelling, it's not history. Um, yeah. But we're trying at the same time not to ignore the history, but to incorporate the history to um, sort of revel in it and muck about in it and have fun with it, but uh, not, you know, uh, undo it. Um, and again, it's interesting history, so that's easy to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I, I, I like the way uh, Brennan Lydia uh, characterized Mal in this uh, episode because he, he, he's, there's something clearly sort of jerky about him, but he's not sort of a one note kind of guy. Yeah. We'll he's definitely talk a little bit more about that when we get to the SLG stuff, but um, circling back to Constantine. I mean, there's just something about the guy. There's a lot of villains on the show, but there's something about him that it's more that makes you, your skin crawl more than a lot of the other villains. And, I remember during the height of COVID lockdown, some of us on Discord are doing a rewatch of Gargoyles or a few people there who had never seen it. We get to this episode and I'm not going to name her, but there's this woman who's watching and she says, especially when he cast Vanilla's side it, for Catherine, I think I dated this guy once. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did enjoy how Mary was like, oh yeah, he's... She doesn't love she doesn't love Kenneth. She's got eyes for Constantine, but Constantine's just gonna break her heart. Just watch. Um, Mary had his number. Yep. Yeah. Mary knows things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you Ian Buchanan was just great in the role. Speaking of to our listeners who heard that one of our listeners found Ian Buchanan on Cameo and had him record a little something for us as Constantine. So that's what you heard. That was him. So <laughs> And you know, I'm and Jennifer and Corinne, I want to hear this from you. What were your thoughts about the whole, uh, especially Fenella's Hell Hath No Fury moment? Because I tend to think she would have adjusted to the murder had he not done that and been, and okay, okay, I can live with this, I can be his queen. What do you two think? Yeah, I think that her saying, I don't do this really to help you, I do this to hurt him is very telling. Uh, you know, she didn't want Kenneth to be killed, but if Constantine had said, okay, now I'm king, and Fenella, you are now uh, going to be queen, she might have just settled into the role. Rolled with it, yeah. Yeah, she would have rolled with it. But because Constantine not just, you know, killed Kenneth to take power, but discarded Fenella and took Catherine in order to get more power. To secure that power. Got the nobility. So he would he would claim even more nobility at that point. Then yeah, she's Fenella is definitely uh, definitely woman scorned and might not have started in the, the whole path of being against Constantine for the right reasons, but ends up in her choice of saying, I'll take the book and you guys go and be safe on Avalon and I'll guard the book. She ends up as well 
going through that growth and through that, you know, finding yeah. her priorities and doing what's right because it's right to do it. Absolutely. Like she, it, I like watching, it's just one episode and we've already seen how things have changed for her, you know, like, but it's still in character. Uh, the whole, I'm not doing it to help you, but to hurt him thing. Like that's beautiful. <laughs> but uh, just watching how much she changed in one episode uh, and still stayed true to herself mostly. So. Yeah. I think uh, my thought on it and, you know, I'm, I, you guys probably know I'm not that big on hypotheticals, but I, I do think that, uh, I mean, I agree that if he had said, and you're my queen, Fenella, she would have rolled with it up front. I think uh, over time. The guilt would have been too much. Yeah, I, I, I think over time it would have, uh, and, and where that would have gone, I don't know, because that's not the direction that we went. And But it, I, I do think that um, the person we depicted here um, was a decent human being who got caught up in circumstances beyond her control. Um, and uh, she's like, let me tell Kenneth, because you'll you'll be too abrupt or whatever it was that she says before Kenneth walks in the door and constantly literally stabs him in the back. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, she's even concerned about, um, Kenneth's feelings, let alone his life. Yeah. But she also thought she was in love with Constantine. And so when, if he had just said, and you're my queen, I think she would have rationalized it for a while, but I can't see it long-term sitting well. Uh, of course he doesn't do that. As you said, you know, if he can marry the, you know, um, Kenneth's niece, then um, that increases the legitimacy of his title of his throne and, um, and any issue they have that unites these two families that have been at war for 70 plus years. Um, and isn't that perfect? You know, um, forget how anyone feels about any of it. Yet the fact that he knows that Catherine hates his guts, that doesn't matter. That's a non-issue. Um, but it, uh, but it secures the throne. Um, and for him and his issue, and that matters to him. Um, and at this point, Fenella's usefulness has passed, and he doesn't think of her as anyone who can do anything about it. Um, and that's where he's wrong. Um, and uh, and that leads to this scene, which I find funny. Um, I'm not quite sure it was supposed to be quite as funny as it winds up being, which is the thing with the stone that she drops in her drink so that the you know, in other words, she doesn't have to uh, figure no, out a way to get him to drink without her drinking. They can she... both drink and he's not suspicious because they're both drinking in essence. But um, what's funny to me is that he collapses instantaneously. <laughs> I mean, it does, it's not like, well, I, I don't feel so good. And, uh, it's like, <laughs> that was a very effective sleeping potion. I like it. <laughs> it is. 
I uh, mean, like it's something it's it's like watching Dexter, man. Like <laughs> it doesn't even get a chance to get in their bloodstream and they're out. <laughs> the Magus is so heartbreaking throughout this. He's clearly so in I mean, we had suspected before this during Awakening, but it's clear that he's so in love with Catherine here. We'll talk about how that goes when we get to Avalon part three, of course. But yeah, I don't think it's heartbreaking it, in this episode. No. No. But it becomes heartbreaking. Yeah, just that moment where he says he will take her beyond the ends of the earth. I love the way Jeff Bennett read that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jeff Bennett. Jeff Bennett. You know? <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Bennett. God, what do you expect? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what can't uh, he do? The, the, um, the whole uh, thing where the Magus, you know, he has to get rid of the book. He can't he they're trapped if he does not uh have the book then he finds himself useless, useless and worthless he put his whole entire value in the fact that he could do magic and he didn't understand that he had actual value as a person as a person who was supportive of the princess who was on you know, on the path of redemption where he uh, he went from the person who cursed the gargoyles to the person who helped the, 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 the eggs and, you know, all that stuff as well. He also had his growth path, but he his growth is stunted by the fact that he put so much value, so much personal value in the fact that his skill is magic. He doesn't recognize anything else about himself except that he could do magic. And now that he gave up the books, he can't do magic anymore. Well, it's like, I, do I, I, do I stay right. with my book or do I stay with Catherine? Like, so that had to be a tough, it's a, it's a tough decision, I would think, for him to figure out what he needs to do. Yeah, but he didn't learn after giving up the book. And yeah. that's really sad, but that's you know, a story for the future episodes when you guys really delve into Avalon part two or three. Yeah. And uh, I love the ruse that they use, the illusions to get the eggs out of the castle. Constantine's uh, I don't think I like gargoyle eggs line is funny and chilling at the same time, especially now that we know how his father got killed and he has to know this history too. So that'll play a part in a later story and SLG as we no, I think, but um, the return of the weird sisters. I was so excited to see them again. What, Jen? What do you think of that sequence? I was, I, I wasn't expecting. Like, you know, we got the the weird sisters at the beginning, you know, in the previously on kind of thing, but um, but I wasn't expecting them in that capacity. For some reason, I like uh. Oh, they're, so they're guardians of Avalon. What the hell were they doing over with the? <laughs> like, I was I was confused at this point. Um, but we weren't trying to um, answer questions at this oh, yeah. point. We were yeah, trying yeah. to to raise them. Um, so uh, confusion is not an incorrect. No, I'm not saying. <laughs> like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's, it's definitely like it comes back around and you know uh, makes sense later. But I was uh, at this point, I was just kind of, well, okay. Is this just 
is this just a way to keep them from going like the book can't go to Avalon. So we've put them in front of it so that it can't go. And so they got to make this choice and we got to get rid of Mary and Fenella. Like, um, so it's just a lot of the, the ways my mind would try to spin it, but, um, I was happy to see them again though, even though they turned into owls. <laughs> I thought turn back soon. Was really cool, and I also like. Yeah, I I like the design. I like that they had the three colors again. Um, while I wasn't super keen on the animation, uh, the the way that the magus whaps at the three birds one after the other that was well done. The the flow and the of the animation there, you really felt the impact on these poor birds. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was really fun to see. One of the things that I wanted to go back and and look at is the design of the boat on which the Weird Sisters were. There was hmm. like a face on the side of the boat, just beneath the three sisters, and I wanted to spend a little more time on that face, wondering if it was supposed to be a representation of Oberon or what. It's not. It doesn't look like the version of Oberon we got in uh, later, in the later episode. But I was wondering if that was a design choice. Um, I don't. I don't remember. Honestly, it's been thirty years. It's <laughs> too long. I don't remember. Um, I'm sure. Uh, you know, obviously boat gets designed it doesn't just pop into existence and and um frank and i approve all designs um so i must have signed off on it and i must have at some point had some notion but it's gone <laughs> it's you know whatever memory existed is long gone uh but I, my guess is is that we had an idea behind it just uh whether it was oberon i'm not sure but um uh, you know, I, it's not like I would have seen that and gone and just thought, oh, that's an interesting aesthetic. Well, there would have been an idea behind it. I just don't remember what it is. Was. Is. Was. I don't know. I don't even remember what tense I should be using. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> the choice that Mary makes to mm. leave on at that point. Mm. <laughs> oh, I was waiting to hear you two are moms. I the was moms. waiting to hear your little boy. Well, and you know, he's what? How how old he, is Tom? He's what seven, eight? Eight. I mean, I think he's eight. Yeah, he's practically old enough to have a wife and three kids, and in, in the dark ages, to, <laughs> practically old enough to be given a pokeball and go off and. <laughs> Travel Canto at this point. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, that ch that choice of uh, Mary to say you you are the guardian of the eggs, you stay with the eggs, and I'm going to go with Penella to protect her and the book. That's so I good. I look I but like it 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 hurts my heart, but I look at it as Mary's protecting Tom. He's going to be safer on Avalon. That's a good point. So, um, I yeah, I see it as as she's protecting him. That's how. I she mean, we want it. We want it to feel heartbreaking 
um, but believable. Uh, and that was the idea that he was the literal witness to the assassination. Mm. And um, so he, again, like we were talking about Mal Calvum earlier, if he's caught, he's just dead. Um, so he has to go to Avalon. And the, so that's the answer to question one. The answer to question two is, um, does she go with him? And the obvious and planned choice was for her to go. She would go to Avalon too until the Magus says, I can't take the book. And this book is like, I forget his exact words, but it's as like it, map to Avalon. Yeah. You know, in other words, if they get a hold of this book and Fenella volunteers to take it and Mary's thinking by herself, I mean, there's some bravado to her line, but I think she also believes it by herself. This woman alone trying to protect this book is going to have a hard time. She's a noble woman that gives her certain advantages, but she's also got no practical experience whatsoever in living in a world without all the perks of nobility. Yeah. That's the part I know. And so the idea is if I don't go with her, the odds feel good to me, or, or I guess I could rephrase that, that the odds are, are, are not good that she'll be able to protect that book by her self on her own but yeah. she needs my experience she needs the street and, smarts right yeah. to to get us to keep that book safe um and that and keeping that book safe is her way of keeping tom safe and so it's this huge sacrifice for her and so we wanted it to be heartbreaking but we also you know i know uh you know from this internet thing that the responses to that were uh, mixed. You know, I don't believe that a mom would let her child go off without her. And I'm like, well, so for those people, we didn't get the job done. But I feel like in general, um, what she did made sense to us, uh, to me, to Lydia, to Bryn, uh, to Frank. Um, it this is what she felt she needed to do to keep her son safe. And that was her whole priority. I mean, the eggs, sure, but we know, you know, she's sort of lost her prejudice against gargoyles, but this isn't about the eggs for her. No, It's not about Catherine. It's not about the Magus, though she's loyal to both of them. This is all about Tom. And from her point of view, the only, you know, she can trust on this mythical land that she's heard about, the Magus and Catherine, to take care of her boy, where they're safe from Constantine. But she's got to make sure Constantine can't get to them. And, yeah. so, and, and so that's why she does what she does. Yeah. I'm not saying I, it's not a hard choice. It should be, again, heartbreaking. But, I, but it, it's, it was. from her point of view, was the only choice she felt she could make. And she yeah. kept the brave face in front of her son and, you know, the whole, mm -hmm. you're the guardian of the eggs. You, you, you right. do what you have to do. And, uh, and the whole, I, I can't see you anymore. When oh. at the yeah. end. Oh, yeah. I want to speak as a son who I, th I think my mom would deserve to hear this as someone who watched my mom struggle to put food on the table after my father left us with, 
nothing, just watching her work long hours with these two sons. But I was 13 at the time. My brother was nine turning 10. And just how much she pushed herself and forced herself for years until things improved. I know for a fact that under such extreme circumstances, to protect myself and my brother, my mom would have done something similar. Moms do. Yep. Mm -hmm. Parenting is about sacrifice. It's about yeah. a lot of things. It is, yeah. yeah. It's the, the mom loving them terribly and wanting them to strangle, wanting yeah. to strangle them. <laughs> Some balance. Oh, I know that too. <laughs> I know that too from the other end. Yeah, but, uh, but, I, but I wanted to say that because yeah, <laughs> I wanted to say that because mom, if you ever listen to this, I hope you, I hope you do because I know I haven't that... shown you as much appreciation as I probably should have. I'm glad Fashansky's taking a moment to suck up to his mom in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can go upstairs and tell her this. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But, you know, I just, uh, it, 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 I don't know, it just felt important to me in the moment. <laughs> no, that's good. No, that's good. But you should also go upstairs and tell her that. I will. Really sure. I will as soon as I, I will as soon as we're done. As soon as we're done, I will. As, as a mom, you should. I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. But no, the it, it, the flashbacks were great. Everything was great. Do we have anything else we want to talk about this flashback and historical sequence before we move on to the arrival on the island? I think we've covered it all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we flash back, and I love that. Goliath immediately asks about the Archmage because that's a question I had, and Tom doesn't have an answer yet. We'll, we'll get the answers next episode. Tom doesn't have them, but that reveal of the island, and then the reveal of these two adult gargoyles on the cliff that Hudson finds—I mean, Bronx finds, as you pointed out earlier—that was one of the best hooks and cliffhangers of the series. It was how, so good. How did you all respond to that? If you remember, <laughs> okay, first off. Not a cliffhanger. It's a yeah. hook, but it's not a cliffhanger. It's not a cliffhanger. It is a We're standing on a cliff, and it's still not a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, there are a few things that I remember, but I do remember uh, the feeling of, oh, gee, more gargoyles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, you're limited to a small cast, and it's always the same characters. And all of a sudden, there's new gargoyles characters. And little did I know that this was just the beginning. <laughs> yeah. It made me super happy uh, to see that there were going to be new Gargoyles characters. Uh, because, of course, you know, we talk about the eggs, the eggs, the eggs, the eggs. So you see Tom, that he's much older, but you wonder this whole time passing differently. Are they still eggs? Because they keep calling them the eggs. And then you see these adult Gargoyles show up and you're like, oh. <gasps> New and then there's that click, like we're seeing just a few of them, but we know how many eggs there were. So you know there's more. <laughs> like, I loved that moment. Like, as my mind, like, spun, uh, you know. Okay, so. Well, that's, you know, I mean, that's great because I know that was the effect we were trying to get, you know. He talks about the eggs as, and, you know, in hindsight, you realize, well, that's just his nickname for them. You know, um, I'm guardian of the eggs. They're the eggs. These are my eggs. It's like <laughs> me still referring to my, you know, 
kids in their 20s as kids, you know, um, they'll always be my ex. Um, you know? <laughs> um, calls her daughter, but, uh, uh, her daughter, who's now 14. And when she was pregnant with the with the kid, first ultrasound, they say, look, that's my jelly bean. And she calls her bean. And it's right. still a bean. You know, that's my so, bean. Uh, so that that in hindsight, but what we were consciously trying to do throughout the episode is he refers to the eggs. Then you've spent the entire flashback worried about these Looking 36 at eggs. eggs. So yeah. you're thinking in terms of eggs. Bronx goes running off and Tom says he's found the eggs. And you're like, oh, we're going to see the eggs again. And the eggs are still there. And then you see, I mean, you don't know their names yet, but you see uh, Gabriel, Angela, and Budika come out on that cliff. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> and oh, that's the, the reaction. Eggs. Yeah, you know, um, it and that was, you know, the 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 sort of whipsaw moment that we were looking for. You know, uh, is um, get the audience really focused on literal eggs, so that you know if Bronx had run up and. He ran up to a big pile of eggs. We'd be like, he found the eggs. Okay, yeah, great. So the eggs are still existent. They saved them. That is fantastic. But that's not the ending of an episode. (laughs) But, you know, seeing those three gargoyles come up on uh, on the top of that cliff, that's that's a hook. And uh, uh, not a cliffhanger, goddammit, but it's a hook. Um, For anyone who's on Twitter. <laughs> yes. Greg will die on that hill. Oh, on that that, yeah, well, yeah, that's a frustrating <laughs> clip. Well, he, well, he's right Hanger. about it. So, <laughs> all right. Anything anyone else has about this episode? I was I was so jazzed for the, I could not wait for the next episode to get to meet the eggs. I Same. I remember the anticipation yes. of getting to meet oh, yeah, the eggs. Yeah. That's that that was the memory of oh my god, new new characters, new gargoyles, new so designs, cool. new like as an artist mm-hmm. and like, oh my god, what are they all gonna look like? Yeah. Oh, Definitely. Just you know, getting into fandom afterwards, um starting to go online and seeing other people having made their own fan characters and all that. And it was like, did they, are, are those characters I didn't notice from previous episodes or these, like, uh, did I miss some episodes at some point? Because it was that whole, you know, we got new gargoyles in Avalon. We got new gargoyles in all the, 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 the world. The world. Um, so it really, um, ignited the, the the imagination to see that there are gargoyles uh that there were new gargoyles they weren't the last ones and that was uh really exciting for little artist Kevin. <laughs> it was really exciting for little fanboy me at the time and i was really happy because at the time as i recall the only new gargoyle we had gotten after awakening that in the 20th century was Thalog, and uh, we needed way more that than that. That didn't go so that. well. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> kind of so, a little sideways um, there. Very much. Well, no, I think not. it was also important for the series to, uh, you know, uh, you've got a, a handful of heroes 
for a season and a half or uh, so, and that's great. But at some point you have to look forward and go, well, there's only one female of the species left and it's Demona. We've got problems. Um, We've got problems maintaining optimism um, about the hope for these characters future. Um, You've got problems maintaining optimism about them maintaining any optimism. How can they be heroes if they are fundamentally um, pessimistic about their own it's a very different kind of show than the kind of show we wanted to make. So it, it was essential, um, both in what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast uh, about uh, uh, adding more voices that I felt um, were missing, but it was also essential just from the standpoint of um, maintaining the tone of the series. And it's basically fundamentally hopeful and optimistic. Um, ideas that that goliath represents and that comes behind it at some point um if we have left things the way they were then how does goliath maintain any optimism one way or the other these last six go down as the last period and um doomed species right and that's hard to get cheerful about uh even if they go down nobly as heroes that's still you know it was important to us that they were mortal. They may be long lived, but they are mortal. Um, and so ultimately, where do you go with it unless you begin to expand the world that they live in and you begin to reveal that, in fact, they're not the last? And this was obviously our first baby step. Again, planned from day one, you know. Um, Having those eggs go off, you know, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, let's, yeah, we'll never see those eggs again. We, we weren't planning. It's no, from day one, we were planning to do something with those eggs. Uh, I'm not saying we had it all worked out in, as to what we ended up doing, but we knew we were coming back to that. And, um, and when Xanatos in episode two or three, I think two, uh, says, yeah, the eggs were lost, uh, you know we knew that he was not reliable on that point. And, but, uh, so yeah, it was a plan to do this, but it was also, I think, essential, you know, it, without it, it, it just becomes a much darker show. And of course, Gargoyles is always include, you know, always described by people as, wow, what a dark show that Disney was doing. And it's like, yeah, I guess relative to DuckTales, we were a dark show. You know, relative it was a to I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, we worked really hard not to make it a dark show. You know, we didn't use the kind of color palette that, for example, Batman the Animated Series used. Ours was a very rich color palette, um, and we were a fundamentally optimistic show, and that needed to be maintained. And the only real way to do that was uh, the, uh, you know, the revelation. That they're that, not. That they're not the last. Fantastic! I look forward to discussing more of that as we move forward. Um, but I think we can wrap things up unless anyone has anything else. Um, I'm just happy to be here with you guys. It's so fun. <laughs> I'm so happy with all of you. It's, it's great. <laughs> cut, 
Karen, you are always welcome. I think Jen will agree with me. You are always welcome. Anytime you want any episode you want. <laughs> awesome. Jen, just, you know, send me a message whenever. Put up a flag. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, this is coming out on October 13th. Do you have anything you would like to plug? Not really. I season two of saving me is on byu tv uh you can go on the website byutv.org to watch the second half of this show that i did a few years ago i'm still very proud of it i'm still very happy with it it's got time travel and it's got action and it's got zany comedy and it has character growth and very a lot of heart so i'm very I'm still very proud of this show other than that I'm just continuing to work on making more cartoons and uh, yeah, for your little kids and not so little kids eventually. So yeah, it's all fun. Awesome. So any minute or within a week or so, uh, the Gargoyles Halloween special should drop. Um, it's uh, I think a really fun story. It's Nash focused. For those of you who have been wanting more Nash, it is a Nash-focused Halloween adventure as he gets to experience his first Halloween in Manhattan. Um, and uh, make some friends. Um, and uh, then we've got, I don't know exactly where they fall. Uh, I don't have the release schedule in front of me, but uh, let's see. Uh, what's coming out? Soon, nine is coming out. Any nine is coming out. For, yeah, we just did for nine is already nine out. And three, yeah, it's going to be out when this is out. Yeah, ten would probably be out either soon or just came out. I would think. Um, and then Dark Ages three and maybe even four uh, are out. It's tough. I'm way ahead uh, scripting wise, so I've finished. I've written the Halloween story. I've written five out of the six um, issues of Dark Ages, and I've written 11. I, I finished scripting issue 11, and I'm working on um, the script for 12, which is the last issue of Here in Manhattan. Um, and so I'm, I'm a little vague on when it all comes out, but uh, I think uh, Here in Manhattan goes out big and um so you want to keep up with that and i think dark ages just gets bigger and bigger with each issue so um <laughs> i think uh, you'll want to keep up with that too and the halloween story is a lot of fun um it's not a big story i'm not going to say but it it is a it's a lot of fun and, and, and i think there's a lot of really uh fan pleasing moments in it um i kind of worked hard to to sort of reference back to previous Halloween stories we've had in the show. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of fun stuff there for the audience, for the readers. Um, even if you haven't I'm, seen the show, I still think it's true. Nice. I'm looking forward to it. And that's for plugging. Well, we're not going to get specific quite yet, but Jen and I have been having some conversations about giveaways and contests for upcoming oh, yes, podcasts. Have. She had, she this is all her she has some very fantastic ideas and we're going to be 
implementing them soon. So keep listening, keep following us on social media. And um, I want to thank all of you, of course. Um, Greg, thank you for everything you do. Corinne, thank you for coming back on the show again. You're welcome anytime. Jennifer, thank you for everything you do, all of your contributions. And um, I love these people. I love you too. Love all of you. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, to those of you who keep listening to this show, we are great. We love you. all of you who keep listening we, to the show. <laughs> no, no, our, our numbers are fantastic. I've always I've always been told that people do listen, they do like us. Thank and, you um, for listening to us. <laughs> and we're gonna we would just sit here and talk gargoyles anyway. But it's yeah. nice that you want to listen to us do it. Yeah. <laughs> this gives us structure. Yeah. yeah, and like I said, keep listening because we're going to be rewarding some of you longtime listeners very soon. And join us next time for Avalon Part 2 and a really cool time loop. Dun, dun, dun. I don't think I like gargoyle eggs.